Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our morning service. It's great to see you all. Um, so if you're here for the first time, whether you're visiting either online uh, or here in the building, uh, it's great to, to have you, you with us. I'm uh, very pleased that um, Saab Claire has uh, joined the team and uh, he starts work this week and we look forward to his induction service next Sunday. So next Sunday there'll just be one service at 10.30. Uh, so do please book up in the normal way and hopefully we'll be able to get in as many people as we can while still retaining the, the social distancing. Uh, we've come to the end of our sermon series in Nehemiah this morning. We're going to be looking at um, what it means to come together in joyful worship. Uh, Psalm 95 is a call to worship, which is appropriate to read as we gather as God's people to worship him. So let me read from Psalm 95, which says this. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Well, we're going to praise and glorify him now as we sing together. We are able to sing now, but do please keep your masks on when you do so. Uh, two songs are going to start with, Come Praise and Glorify and Praise Him, You Heavens. Let's stand. Please take a seat. Uh, I'd like to invite uh, Steve Taylor to come up to to the front. Steve, let me give you give you that mic. Um, in case people don't know Steve, Steve's married to Kate. They've got two daughters, uh, Sophie and Rosie. Um, if you remember, Sophie was baptised a couple of weeks ago, which was a great occasion, wasn't it? Um, Steve, as we said, the service uh, this morning is focusing on joyful worship and sung worship. Um, it's great to hear you playing there the piano uh, before the service and leading us in that way, just helping us prepare our hearts to meet with, with the Lord. Um, tell us, what was the importance of music for, for you um, and your family? Okay, hi everyone. Um, <clears throat> right, so um, we all play the piano actually at home, but not me. No. So a um, bit of a clue there. Um, so we do love playing and singing, and some of our great... Um, Together times, really, have been around the piano. So we've been, you know, singing, worshipping. Sometimes it's a sing-song. Sometimes it's a worship time, and that's really good. So, um, yeah, we've, we've had some good times doing that. Music is very important to me. It always has been. I, I started playing the piano when I was, I don't know, 10 years old, maybe younger. Um, but I didn't play um, by the rules. So I, uh, my music teacher was probably very frustrated. I never took any lazy, and I just decided I was going to play by ear, so or by feel, as I call it. Um, and so I did, and that's really just the way I've progressed. And every opportunity I've had to do that within a church context, um, that's, that's what I've been able to do. And poor Matthew was struggling this morning because he was trying to predict my uh, my moves. <laughs> Where's Matthew? Yeah. And uh, sorry about that, Matthew, you, you caught the, the short straw this morning. Um, yeah, so um, I was brought up on a few um, oldies, CSSM choruses. Does anyone remember those? Youth praise, hymns of light and love. No, no one's ever heard of that. Um, and hymns of faith. And, and then songs of fellowship. And, st- and um, yeah. did you have a favourite song from, from that time? Maybe an old yes. one or a more recent one? Yeah. So, so the first song I ever learnt to play when I was, I don't know, 10 or something, was one from Hymns of Faith, 349, Hymns of Faith. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil 
can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Yeah, and as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, that was wonderful to sing, wasn't it? You know, a hymn of affirmation, Jesus belonging to me and, uh, and me to him. Yeah. So that was the first song I, yeah, that would have been my favorite at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, later on, you know, many more favorites, obviously. Um, modern worship songs in many ways. Um, one of my favorites, Sophie started playing on the piano just the other night, and that was Faithful One. I was just playing it there. Faithful One, so unchanging. Ageless One, you're my rock of peace. And there's a bit of a story to that, because um, around the time that was written, 2002, we had a very special day when we felt God's presence and power, um, Kate and I, um, in a very special way that we could not have predicted from start to finish, and that's the story in itself. But God's protection and faithfulness was key to that day, which could have turned out very differently had it not been for that. Mm, wonderful. And um, what, does, what does worship mean to you? Let's see. So, um, so worship is all of life, isn't it? We're, we're, our life is, is worship, right? Um, it's, it's the heart's response to God's goodness. Yeah, what God's done in our life, we need to express it. So, music is an obvious way to, to worship, because it's expressive. So we, we express ourselves, whether that's in lament, whether that's in exuberant praise, we express ourselves, right? And that's what we've been lacking the last 18 months, is the ability to express ourselves in worship, and I think that that's key. The other thing I think I would mention is that worship is about submission. So yieldedness, right? So I think the two go hand in hand. You need, you know, the best hymns, the best songs are both based on scripture and they're expressive, right, from the heart. They're written, somebody's testimony, right? Somebody has written a hymn out of their pain, out of their suffering, out of their joy, and we can pick that up and relate to it straight away. Mm-hmm. But it's based on scripture. I think that's important. That's where the power is. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that when Jesus comes to the lady at the well, he says, the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Yeah, Both are important, aren't they? Mm-hmm. We need the spirit. We need the truth of God's word. And we need our spirit to, um, to relate to God's spirit. It's the spirit that brings the expression it's the truth that perhaps brings the submission. So, to me, music animates worship, enables us to yield to the Spirit, and however he's leading us, and it brings us back to God's heart. So, for me, that's, that's key. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for sharing that, Steve. Wonderful. Thanks very much. Well, we're going to continue now in, in prayer, and uh, Steve Smith is going to lead us in our prayers. Thanks, Steve. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together in your name, in your house, with your people to worship you. Thank you that you are Lord of the universe. You created it. You hold it together. And we thank you that you are worthy of our praise, that we can come into your presence and do our worship and our praise as your people. Thank you for churches across this land 
uh, and indeed around the world, where people are gathering together today to worship you and where your word is being preached. We pray for John Billet, who will be preaching at Criers Hill Church this evening. We pray that you'll give him your words, give open ears and hearts and minds to the congregation to receive your truth. We pray too for uh, Colin, ministering at Keswick this week, and for Callum and Tash, leading a Christians in Sport Week at Moncton Combe School. We pray that in both of these events, that your truth will be made known, that uh, some who don't know you will be drawn to you, and that those who do know you will be encouraged and strengthened in their faith. Thank you for the good opportunity we had uh, to gather together as men, the men's barbecue on Friday. Thank you for the opportunity to just fellowship together, to strengthen relationships. And uh, for those who came who are not normally churchgoers, that some of the conversations we had will uh, stay in their minds and cause them to think to you. Thank you also uh, for bringing Sarb and Karen to us. And we want to commit them to you as Sarb starts work this week as pastor here at LCBC. Pray that his ministry will be fruitful will be a blessing both ways, a blessing to us as a church, and that they themselves will be blessed in the ministry you've given them here. We thank you also that we can have a part in what you are doing around the world through our support of missionaries in, in various places. And we think this week of David and Bini Mukia in India. Thank you for David's role there as pastor and teacher We pray for your wisdom and the leading of your Holy Spirit as he prepares a series on the book of Romans. Pray for both of them as together they're involved in pastoral care, ministry to church families, caring for sick people in the church, bringing your love and care and message of hope to whoever they come into contact with. We pray for your blessing and strength for them together as a couple that you will bless their marriage. And now, Father, as we come to the reading and preaching of your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be on Neil as he preaches, on all of us, that you will open our hearts and minds to your truth, that we will truly worship you, bring you the praise and worship that are due to you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Well, before we uh, have the reading that John's going to bring us from Nehemiah 12, we're going to stand again to sing. Uh, Praise and God that he's a good and gracious God. Let's stand. Morning, everyone. As we uh, come to the end of our series in Nehemiah, um, the, the, the bar's been set quite high by those before me with the tricky names um, pronunciation, so I'm hoping to finish well this morning. No pressure. Nehemiah uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 27 to 47. The heading is the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophethites, from Bel, Beth Gilgal, and from the sea area around 
Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, towards the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachur, the son of Asaph and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Maai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David, onto the ascent to the wall, and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshanar gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Eleonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with their trumpets, and also Messiah, Shemaiah, Elisia, Uzai, Jehohanan, Malkajia, Elam, and Eza. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrehiah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the purification um, and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So, in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron.
Thanks very much, John. Excellent at reading those names, I thought. 10 out of 10. Well, as we come to God's will, let's pray, shall we? Father God, you do call us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we do pray now that um, you would enable us to uh, understand the truth of your word. And by your spirit, Lord, we pray you would enable us to apply it to our lives, that we'll be those who worship you with all of our lives, uh, that we'll be those who are obedient to you and looking to glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things I think that's clear from some of the questionnaires that have come back, um, that have gone out to you recently, of one of the things that people have missed most during lockdown, uh, however well or poorly we do it, uh, is singing. Um, but what do we, we mean by that when we say we miss singing? Do we mean we miss singing in church in the same way we miss going to, to choir practice or um, uh, maybe singing at a music festival or on the football terraces? Or do we miss being able to express our worship of God through our singing? We worship God in many ways when we come uh, together as Christians on a Sunday, when we pray, when we listen to the Bible passage being read and, and expounded, and we seek to be changed more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But one important part of our time together, and one that is mentioned here many times in this passage, is our sung worship. Which raises the question, well, how important is that? And what does that look like? Well, right from the start of the Bible, music plays an important role. As early as Genesis, we read of Jubal being the father of all who played uh, stringed instruments and pipes. King David was a keen musician, wrote many of the Psalms. And many of the Psalms call the people of God to worship him by singing. Psalm 95, which we started our service with, said, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples at the Last Supper. Paul and Silas sang hymns to God in prison. In the book of Revelation, there's lots of singing going on in heaven. So why are music and singing so important? One of the reasons, as Steve said earlier, is it engages us, engages our emotions. Uh, music is very emotional. The poetry of the lyrics uh, can in itself be emotional. But when you add uh, music, it makes it even more emotional. And of course, it's not just the, the emotional experience itself that makes worship. Um, there's lots of music you can listen to and uh, become emotional about without it actually being worship. Think of the uh, unimpressive-looking uh, Paul Potts who appeared on Britain's Got Talent many years ago and they wowed the audience with his rendition of Ness and Dorma. But when you combine the emotional impact of music with lyrics that express the greatness of God and all that God has done for us, then it's a powerful combination So when does music and singing then become joyful worship? Well, that's what we're looking at this morning, the last in our series in Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah has described the the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem in the 5th century BC. But more importantly, the rebuilding of the spiritual life of the people of God. And just as the people then were being rebuilt and regathered, 
So we too as a local church are focusing on our rebuilding and regathering as we come out of lockdown. We've seen the importance of many things in this series, uh, prayer and dependence on God, teamwork and unity, submitting ourselves to the word of God, confession and repentance. And this morning we finish with a look at joyful worship. And rather than the usual sort of three or four points I would make, I just want to focus on four words this morning that come out particularly from verse 27 as we look at what characterized the worship of the people of God in Nehemiah's day and what should characterize our worship today. So those four words are thanksgiving, unity, dedication, and celebration. Let's start with the first of those thanksgiving. Look at verse 27. It's on the screen or on your Bibles. At the direct dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Later on in verse 31, it says that Nehemiah assigned two large choirs. Why did he assign them? To sing? Well, actually, he doesn't say that. He says he assigned them to give thanks. That was their purpose, to give thanks. Worship involves an expression of thankfulness to God for all that he has done. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, we're told this, we're told, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what would have been the things that people of, uh, um, of God would have been giving thanks to him for at that time as they came together? Well, think about what's happened uh, over this series, uh, that God enabled Nehemiah's brother, Hananiah, and some other men to travel all the way to Persia, to Susa, to meet with Nehemiah and tell him all that had been going on in Jerusalem. To thank God that um, he laid on Nehemiah's heart the importance of coming back to Jerusalem and overseeing the building project. That God actually caused the, the king of Persia to allow Nehemiah to go back and to give them safe letters of conduct, to give them all the resources they need to build the, uh, the walls that God brought together a team of people to do it, that God protected them from opposition and enabled them to complete the rebuilding. But above all, that God had enabled the people to see their sin and to turn back to him in repentance and receive his forgiveness and his blessing. You've probably heard the description of people being a, this is a full one, but... um, it's a coincidence I just happened to drink from it at that moment. Uh, <clears throat> big glass half full or glass half empty. In other words, whether someone is grateful for what they have in their glass, that is half full, or whether they're focused on what they don't have, that is actually half empty. Well, it shouldn't actually be possible for a Christian to be a, a glass half empty person because we have so much to be thankful for. I said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about confession that we need to be specific when confessing our sins, not just to say, Father, forgive me for all that I've done wrong. Otherwise, we will never learn from these things we do wrong. We'll just keep on doing them the same time over time again. And likewise, we need to be specific in our thanksgiving. Otherwise, we'll fail to become dependent on God 
to see his hand in, in all things and to give him the, the gratitude for that and somehow think we're in control of our own lives and become ungrateful people. We're called to sing <clears throat> and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. But when the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, what did they do? What they, do? they felt compelled to sing, to sing songs of thanksgiving to God for their rescue. And going back to Psalm 95, it said there, let us come before him with thanksgiving, let us extol him with music and song. But then it gives the reason, doesn't it? It says, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. It goes on, come, let us bow down in worship. <clears throat> Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God is not just our creator. He is our redeemer. He is the one who cares for us. It's been hard not singing during lockdown. Maybe my voice is because I've been singing away just now. Um, but at the same time, I've found it quite helpful to, to just to concentrate on the words themselves and appreciate the truths they contain and give God thanks for those things. Songs and hymns can often reinforce gospel truths more effectively than just reading the Bible or hearing it read. Songs that speak of God's love, that prompted him to send his son to, to die for us, to achieve our salvation. Songs should be characterized by thanksgiving. Well, the second word is unity. In verse 27, we read that the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians have built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. People are coming from different places to gather together to worship God with their different instruments. In verse 43, we're told that on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. Men and women, people of all ages are coming together for worship. Why is it important to, to gather together for, for worship? Is it just that singing sounds better with, with more, more voices? Well, no, it's that God has called us as individuals. We, we need a personal faith in Jesus Christ, but he's called us as individuals to belong to his family, to be part of his people. A challenge, of course, is that we're, we're all different with our different ages, different personalities, different family, cultural, ethnic backgrounds, different preferences. And that can be a wonderful thing to see all these different people united in their love for Jesus. But when we allow those differences and our preferences to dictate our attitude to coming together, or even whether we come together in the first place, that is a potential for being quite divisive and dishonoring to God. 
probably some watching from home uh, right now who would love to be back at church, but are just physically unable to be here. And we, we pray for you. Our hearts go out to you. There'll be others who are just struggling with, with anxiety and worry about being in a, in a packed room. And again, we're praying for, for you in that. But there may be others who've not yet come back because church is not as you would like it to be. We all know that it's not as we would like it to be, and, and we all probably have different ideas of what it should be like. But church is not about what we would like it to be. We come together to praise God and to encourage one another. When we sing, we're not just singing to God, we're, we're singing to one another. <clears throat> In Ephesians it says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. In Colossians, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And our sung worship is not just a, a vertical thing going on for, between us and God, but also a horizontal thing. And our attitude towards God will also affect those around us. Uh, and it will have an impact, hopefully a positive one, on them. As God's people, we belong to, to one another. We all need one, one another. And God has given us each other for our benefit. <clears throat> and therefore it's dishonoring to God to say, well, I don't actually need you. I'm happy just as I am. I'm happy not even to come to church, just to watch it online or maybe even watch another church service, uh, depending on how I feel. In 1 Corinthians, where it describes the church as a body made up of different parts, it says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We all need one another, and especially at such a time as this. Which is why it's important to prepare our hearts before we come to church. Because we are coming to encourage one another. That's why it's also important to pray for our, our worship leaders, our musicians, our tech team. Because if they're all going to contribute towards our sung worship, then it's important not just that they can play the songs well, but that their hearts are in a good place, that they are united as a team as they lead us in worship. Joyful worship involves gathering together to encourage one another. Third word is dedication. Verse 27 says that the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. This is a, a dedication service, but uh, it's a dedication for a wall. Um, what does it mean to dedicate a wall? Well, a helpful definition of dedication I came across this week was this. It was to give over the work of human hands to God's ownership. To give over the work of human hands to God's ownership. What the people were doing in dedicating the wall was acknowledging, firstly, that that wall would not have been built without the help of God. We considered earlier some of the things that uh, they would have thanked God for in that. It was God who enabled the walls to be built. So then what the people are doing is acknowledging that the walls belong to him. 
and promising that they will look after them and use them for his glory. As King David prayed when he dedicated the temple hundreds of years earlier, he prayed, everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand. And what that means in practice is they are dedicating themselves to to serve God with whatever he has given them and promising to be obedient to him. When we finished the building project here in the church a, a few years ago, we, we also had a dedication service, giving thanks to God for everything he had done to make it happen. The raising of the finance, the, the granting of a planning a permission, the meetings with, with the neighbours, the, the raising up of someone to lead the project, the selection of builders, the whole construction itself, even finding a place where we could worship while we were out of the building. And as we dedicated the building to God, we were not just saying, well, thank you for this nice building, which we can now enjoy. We were saying, we are giving over the work of our hands to you. This belongs to you. We are dedicating this building to your glory and promising that we will use it as a place of worship, a place of, of hospitality, a place where the gospel will be proclaimed. And we mustn't forget that that is what it is. It's a tool for the gospel it's not for our comfort. And the principle is the same when we have a dedication service for a child. What the parents are doing is giving thanks to God for that child, for the, the gift of life. But giving the child over to God's ownership. The parents are making promises that their priority for that child is to bring them up to know God. Yes, they will provide them with food and shelter, encourage them in their, in their education, help them grow into responsible adults. Their priority is to point them to Jesus. So coming back to, to worship, worship is not just something we do when we've got something or someone to dedicate. Every time we come together, we are rededicating ourselves, our whole lives to God. As it says in Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship involves giving over our lives to something or someone. And human beings are all by nature, by nature worshippers because that is how God has made us. The question is what or who do we worship? We've seen in the Olympics how some people have dedicated themselves to being the best in their sport. Of course, there's only one person who will win gold, and they may think it was all worthwhile. They've glorified themselves. But does that really provide long-lasting satisfaction? <clears throat> Others spend their lives looking for something to, to dedicate themselves to, but never, never really quite finding it. God is the only one who's worthy of our worship, of dedicating our lives to him. And that is why he demands our exclusive worship but it's easy even if we're christians for other things to to distract us from god or become more important to us than god and in this passage we're told in verse 30 that when the priests and levites had purified themselves ceremonially they purified the people the gates and the wall <clears throat> what is going on there that purity is about a dedication a devotion to god and likewise for us, if anything has contaminated the purity of our worship, 
then we need to confess it and repent of it. The priests and the Levites uh, in this passage performed a ceremonial purification. We have become pure in God's sight as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit is still undertaking a work of ongoing purification in our lives. And that will carry on throughout our lives. Worship involves the dedication of our lives to God and expressing our love for God from our hearts. The greatest joy is to use what we've been given by God for his glory. Which brings us on to the final word, celebration. We're told that the people were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully their dedication with songs of thanksgiving. And in verse 42, we read, The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because that God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. They're celebrating a great achievement. The completion of the rebuilding of the walls, but also the spiritual rebuilding of God's people. And it's also a victory. Um, it's been achieved in the face of serious opposition. If you've got your Bibles there, flick back to chapter 4. Remember what we read about then a few weeks ago? Chapter 4, verse 1, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. The people at that time began to panic. They were afraid, fearful for their lives. So what did Nehemiah do? In verse 14 of chapter 4, he said, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. This is a victory celebration. It's an acknowledgement that however powerful our enemies appear, God is greater. Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones, their enemies said. And here we have two large choirs climbing up onto the top of the wall and the sound of their rejoicing could be heard far away. Sung worship is a celebration of God's power and his strength. One of the amazing results of the Olympics has been the tiny country of Fiji, um, which is a population of only like 900,000, um, retaining the gold medal in the Rugby Sevens, the one that won already in Rio. The song that the, the team sung as they celebrated um, is called Eda Sa Kaka, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, translation of the lyrics goes like this, We have overcome... We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Lord. We have overcome. There was no doubt to whom they attributed their, their victory. They acknowledged that it was God who had given them the skills in rugby and they had dedicated them to his glory. Sung worship 
is a celebration of God's victory that is seen most magnificently in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he reigns now from heaven over all things. A victory that is already being celebrated in heaven, and which also looks forward to the celebrations which will take place on that day when Jesus comes again. A celebration which will continue throughout all of eternity. So if you've not yet given your life to Christ, you miss, risk missing out on the greatest party ever that will carry on throughout eternity. And worse than that, if you reject God, you risk spending that eternity in hell. If you do already belong to God's people, then you have lots to celebrate. So let me ask you, each week before you come together with God's people on the Lord's Day, think on those four words. Thanksgiving, unity, dedication, and celebration. And ask God to purify your heart so you may enjoy that time of worship and you may encourage others through your worship. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the privilege of belonging to your people. Thank you that we are made up of all sorts of different people, different ages and personalities, different backgrounds. But thank you that uh, what unites us is our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you that we can express that uh, love for him in worship. We can express it in songs, in music. Thank you that we have minds to understand what you've done for us. We have emotions that can feel what you've done for us and long to express the meaning of that. Lord, we do pray our worship would be honoring to you. We pray it would be a celebration of all you've done for us. We pray to express our gratitude to you. And we pray that as we gather together for our corporate worship, we would go from here and dedicate our whole lives to you as we seek to worship you in all things. So Lord, go before us and lead us out in the power of your spirit to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close with some words from, from Revelation. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen.